In this pod, I chat with Mike Pedrick, who is a cybersecurity consultant, which can also be heard of as a vCISO or a virtual chief information security officer. We exchange ideas about the challenges faced by the small and medium businesses in cybersecurity. We dive into real world instances of cyber threats, discussing the aftermath of incidents and the necessary steps for recovery. The importance of risk management and the role of compliance frameworks like CMMC. This is going to be packed with insights drawn from our personal experience and industry knowledge. We're navigating the often intimidating terrain of cybersecurity. We can provide clarity and some actionable advice. Don't miss this episode where Mike demystifies the complex world of cybersecurity for small and medium businesses. Mike, appreciate you being here. How did you, you know, we met on LinkedIn. This is our first time talking to each other. Give me a little bit of your background. I know you're doing a lot of cybersecurity advising, virtual CISO work with clients. Kind of, how did you get to that point? I mean, you've got a pretty long career with like a length of security certifications as I am tall. So <laughs> how did you get to that point? It, it it's, it's funny because I, you know, in addition to my day job, I'm also a, a frequent instructor, okay. a frequent trainer. And it feels like as soon as you earn that first couple of, you know, security and, and risk related credentials, you have to keep pursuing them just to maintain <laughs> the ones you have, right? Because it's always in the pursuit of CPEs. And so I spent a couple of years accumulating credentials before I realized, hey, I could get CPEs by teaching them instead. Uh-huh. So how about we just make <laughs> life easier and do that? So, so anyway, yeah, I started out you know, really in response to being in IT and thinking I knew what I needed to know about information security and risk management and just finding out very abruptly that that wasn't the case, that I was pretty ignorant to some some very real, very important concepts. And so being in the SMB space, I, I sort of thought this is a, a grotesquely underserved market. I'd like to try to make some impact on that. And so even though I'd been consulting, IT consulting for a couple of years on a freelance basis while running, you know, while having an executive position at a manufacturing firm, I was like, I'm just going to go into consultant, consulting full time. And I, I hasten to add that a consulting organization reached out to me and said, they gave me the sweetheart pitch. They said, hey, how about we do all the marketing for you and bringing the clients to you and you just take care of the clients? And I thought, don't threaten me with a good time. Of course, let's let's do that. And so that's what I've been doing ever since, right? So, and, and again, just interspersed with teaching and training and of course the the pursuit of various hobbies and, and passions that interest me and, you know, just never really getting very far away from that, that information security. Yeah, exactly. I've been really passionate about data privacy mm-hmm. of late, but I think a lot of us have. The The overlap between security and data privacy is really strong now. So there's there's a, a huge and growing you know cohort of us in the information security space that have st- started to take notice of data privacy issues and, and have, have started to fight in that space Yeah, as well. I think you're seeing an uptick on that as well. As more companies are implementing some sort of AI into their operations, whether it's through some of the SaaS programs or them trying to build their own, you're seeing a lot of that chitter chatter out there of, you know, the AI is going to suck up all my data and the privacy of the data that's in there and how we're going to handle that. And then you got the counterpoint of, well, I'm going to build my own, but you can't have the security. The security is not going to be as good, you know, versus what a cloud provider will do. Is it, are, are you having conversations like that with a lot of the small medium businesses that are hearing, you know, you're hearing the buzz term AI. I was at an event last night, as a matter of fact, different. It was a little cringy, but that they're looking to actually be change management and try to put in some AI processes and then having those security and privacy conversations with you. Yes. Although I will say AI is, is very, we're right in the meat of the hype cycle with this round of what we're calling AI. I'm going to catch some heat for saying it exactly that way, but I'm, I'm going to leave it there in the air anyway. But for the vast majority of the SMB space specifically, it's, you know, AI is fascinating. AI is sexy. It's, it's, it's on the lips of every mm-hmm. vendor, everybody who is coming to talk to SMBs. 
But the real pressure on SMBs is regulatory. So they keep hearing about GDPR, but that's over in the European Union or CCPA, but that's in California. And so many of them are waking up to the idea that not only do you still probably have applicability with regard to GDPR and CCPA, because it's not really confined to the borders in either case, but there's a full 12 states now that have enacted similar privacy legislation. And there's far more than that already in, in committee. And so the SMB space is waking up to what are the regulatory risks? What are the regulatory pressures for me? And what does it look like to try to be compliant? If I have a customer and every customer is gold to me, but if I have a customer that has a right to action to demand all the data that they have on them, do I have the operational mechanism to do that? Am I, am I going to be able to process that request you know, prudently with, without facing the wrath of, of insert regulatory body here or you know, losing, losing customers? As well as, I think that we've started to see a lot of these more embarrassing breaches, <laughs> data breaches, and compromises are getting into the mainstream media. You don't find it only right. on Wired and only on darkreading.com. It's making it to CNN. It's making it to you know MSNBC. And so it's getting out into the, the general public space that this isn't a thing you can ignore anymore. And especially with SMB clients, they're sensitive to the idea that it's very possible that their first compromise is the one that leads to them closing their doors Absolutely. the next day. Well, you brought up something. I'm curious how much how much education or how surprised are you that we're still talking about people thinking in terms of geographic borders? I mean, versus going, I mean, I got a small, uh, they're a high net worth family I, I deal with in a very similar vein, but they're dealing, no kidding, mm-hmm. with little onesie, twosie entrepreneurs they do horse racing type, I'll say horse racing type stuff. I'm not allowed to say who they are, but you're dealing with somebody in sure. Europe. You're dealing with somebody, you know, in South America, you're, you know, but these onesie twosie things. So it's been a while since I've had somebody that was an example of thinking in that geographic boundary thing. Are you still running in it? I mean, is that's, it's to me, that's crazy. From a, from a regulatory enforcement perspective, yes, right? Because they're still thinking in terms of the vast majority of, of folks in the states are still thinking in terms of, you know, local, regional, state, government, federal, right, in, in that order. And then industry, right? If we're in the healthcare industry, we already know that yep. HIPAA is going to be a consideration. If we're, you know, in the retail space that we have to pay attention to PCI yeah. or at least know how to spell it. <laughs> And, and so on, right? And so it really is a, a game of, as you say, right, educating folks to say, okay, yes, this regulation is bound by, it's enforced by this agency, which is subject to this jurisdiction, where that jurisdiction is in alignment with state borders or jurisdictional you know, borders in, in your locale, right? But that's not always going to be the case. You can't always make that assumption. And for better or for worse, there is an, still an appreciable amount of ignorance in, in industry about really what, what does a thing mean, right? What, is the, what does PCI mean? What does HIPAA mean? What does GDPR mean? We, we know these terms. We know those, those acronyms well enough to be able to assign them to an industry or assign them to a, a scope of you know, demographic or, again, jurisdiction, et cetera. Like, okay, well, how do I follow it? How do I, how do, how do I not incur a fine or, you know, again, a, a, a very ugly court case with regard to that regulation? And there's, there's no push button get education out there for the vast majority of businesses that are large, let alone small and medium-sized businesses. And, and maybe that's a thread I want to pull on just a little bit here is that it's, it's a necessary gravitational pull upward in the service provider space. Here's what I mean by that. As service providers want to grow, they want to expand their, their foothold in industry. They want to be better. They want to be bigger. They want to be you know, spoken about in bigger rooms, so to speak. They always try to start aiming for bigger fish. And so it takes them away from smaller fish. So you'll, you'll hear often in a service provider dialogue inside, you know, inside baseball, 
we're only going to target organizations that are over X dollars MRR or ARR. Well, that takes them away from the SMBs. And so now what you've got is the SMBs are, are left with fewer options where one of the options that are always on the table are what I call Bob's, right? Bob takes yep. care of everything that has electricity coursing through it. He's the former roommate's brother-in-law of the you know CFO or something along that line. And unfortunately, Bob, Bob just doesn't have the bandwidth to take care of what those SMBs need. And so I don't have the right answer, I, I promise. I don't have a magic bullet, but I do wish that more competent, well-staffed, well-educated SMBs, I'm sorry, SMBs, MSPs, would take a step backward and consider there's still a lot of, a lot of good to be done, a lot of value to provide to the SMB space. I know it's not going to be tremendous revenue, but is that the only goal? Is that the only reason we're in operation? I, uh, I'd, I'd like to think that's I, not the I, case. To a degree, I understand what you're saying because that's coming from that idealistic point of view. Don't get me wrong. I I, I get it. I, I, I want to say that's idealistic and not necessary. And, you know, because my experience has always been the, the smaller client that they do have the needs. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've dealt with the small mm-hmm. legal firms, for instance, or your small doctor's offices. Oh, yeah. yeah they're the I, worst. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't say, say it. It's, I'll say it. But yeah. But also, they're the ones when you're talking about your the client that pays the least that sucks up most of your time. And it's absolutely the 80-20 principle. I had been involved in one. Well, I wasn't involved because I said dump them or don't even waste your time on it. I mean, it was like a three-week conversation going back and forth over $50 a month for like a five-person firm. And I get it. They, this is, this is where I don't know if there needs, I think you posted it or somebody else had posted it on LinkedIn about that productization of, of stuff. Yes. Productization. Yeah. And I've got different, yeah. and I've got that, different yeah. thoughts on that in a different, that works well, I think, in, from an educational standpoint. I don't know about implementation for sure mm-hmm. because of the lack of training and resources. But but right. I'm sitting there looking at a, a company that had a ton of staff. Your overhead is X amount per hour. We legitimately can't take on, you know, I can't have my staff run out and take on the three-person place that's going to pay me $100 a month or wants to get into a fight over $150 a month. Uh, because been in, been in totally. a bit, I was in a kickoff meeting. There was eight of us in the kickoff meeting, just of our staff. We're talking, we're talking, and I'm thinking this is a larger project, just the way that everybody was talking. And at the end of it, I found out that this was a $200 or $250 a month client. And I looked around for how many of us were in this kickoff meeting. There was way other problems with this place. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad to. And I went, we just burned up a year's revenue in this hour and we haven't done anything yet. Yeah. Don't even exactly. have any paper. So yeah. it, it's yeah. I, no, I, and I don't get me wrong. I've had that thing too, because you see somebody, you got your friend that asked for help, man, I, I want to help you, but you know, I, this is a time suck. <laughs> so I, I, and I, again, I yeah. don't have the answer oh, for that I'm either. Sure. Again, there has to be short of us short of, but then you're talking about some sort of vendor lock solution or getting the vendors with some sort of turnkey you know, mm-hmm. on secure enclave type of thing, something along that line. But I, I don't, I don't know. I think this is going to be something that's going to, it's been a struggle for, well, as long as I've been involved, you know, and it's going to continue to be a struggle, particularly when you're starting to deal with trying to negotiate this, you know, the pricing and people, people don't understand the value of what you're bringing to, to the table. And you can't yeah. articulate the value of what you're bringing to the table, which has always also been a problem in cybersecurity. Yeah, I would say, Again, no magic bullets for me, and I and I don't purport to having the right answers. Do you know what I mean? I, I always joke around. I say, you know, I thought I was wrong once, but it turned out that wasn't the case. And it's just a cute way of saying I've been wrong before, right? So my hot take is I liken it to attorneys, right? There are corporations that have an army of attorneys at their beck and call, and of course, they're paying eight figures a year for that privilege, right? And then there's the better call Saul folks that service, you know, somebody who like, I've, I've, I've never even said the word attorney out loud, but I need somebody like that right now. What right. is it going to cost me? Right. And then there's a, re- a retainer that's spun up and that person engages for that period of time. 
I don't find fault with a SMB reaching out to a consultant or a consulting organization on a, I know you know nothing about me basis, but, but I need your help right now, right? That, that sort of basis. But I think that we, we try to employ, we try to push bigger corporation tactics yeah. down to smaller organizations, right? And it's not always the case. I mean, I've had clients that were, you know, two guys in a, in a room over a garage and yeah, shoestring budget. And we, we had a good dialogue. We had a good, you know, working relationship, but I saw them maybe four times a month knowing in my head that I have to maximize what I'm going to get those, get out of those four hours in a, in a month, right. And try to protect them and, and, and make sure that things are going okay. And it became a matter of, I can't be here full time. So I'm deputizing you, my yep. client, and we're going to start having educational, you know, dialogues, mentorship dialogues. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to understand in order to keep things going. And when you, when I've approached the, the relationship in that way, one of two things happens. They either say, okay, I'll, I'll absorb everything that I can and call you in, in case of emergency. Or they look at me, squint and say, how many more hours a month do I have to pay you for me not to have to mm -hmm. understand any of this, right? Like what, what is that? What does that look like? What's the vision of me not learning <laughs> anything in this context? And either way, I feel better, right? I feel better about, you know, the, the risk management mm -hmm. targets there. But to your point, when you have an organization that has, you know, tremendous payroll because they've brought in the best talent, uh, every meeting that becomes a $3,500 meeting to talk about a client for which they are never going to pay back even that initial $3,500, then it just, it just doesn't seem like it's worthwhile. And, and so again, I, I, it's necessary. It's, it's, a, it's a gravitational pull upward and I fully understand it. But I do feel like the SMB organizations are left out in the lurch. And for better or for worse, they're the targets. I mean, they are, they're compre it's, it, I always compare it to, you know, smash and grabs, right? We see movies, we see television shows where people go in and rob banks in the lobby. And that sort of thing doesn't happen as much anymore. But the smash and grabs at a convenience store, that happens quite often. And the difference is that at a bank, if you go to rob a bank, there's a chance you could leave with hundreds of thousands of dollars. You go rob a convenience store, you might get $72.65. But the defenses are far different and it's easier to get in and, and, and get out. It's the same thing with, with cybersecurity where SMBs are concerned. They're targets because they know they can get, the, the attackers know that they can knock that thing over real quickly, get in, get out. Not a big payout, but doesn't need to be. No, and that, that's one of those things where when you talk about trying to shove down those large corporate policies to the to the small medium business market. How much do you how much do you yeah. think because well, let me let me let me start that over again. You've got all these frameworks that are scalable and that should be scalable. But then you've got a, a yeah. section of people like you and me that are they're going, "Well, you got this compliance piece and you've got to you got to check all these boxes because it's a compliance piece, but we've lost that ability because you know you've had the same training that I've had. Hey, we got to go identify what mm -hmm. is the highest priority risk, which one of those highest priority risks mm -hmm. are going to have the major impact, and let's go tackle those first before you're just kind of doing yep. down the checklist of the things that your yep. counterpart that's 10x your size are going to have to do. Is that is that something that comes into your mind as you're evaluating these guys that you know that compliance versus scaling the framework down to them? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I'm biased. I worship at the altar of risk, and and so I go into those conversations with those clients with the intent of saying, I by the time we get to the end of this conversation, I want us to be acclimated on what risk is and how I'm going to express to you a, a danger or something, a, a threat to your organization in those terms, right? I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, here's what's at stake. Here's what I think the impact is going to be if this particular thing happens to you. And here's how I think that you can mitigate that risk accordingly. I feel like that instead of, instead of the alternative of that is, 
hey, I'm going to come to you with like NIST 853. <laughs> and whether it takes us a month or it takes us the next 12 years, by hook or by crook, we will have implemented every one of the, the control, control structures in this framework. Are you ready? Let's go. Yep. That's heinous, right? As far as I'm concerned, especially if, you know, if you're, a, again, an SMB uh, owner, you've just hired your third employee <laughs> ever, you know. That's that's just that's not a good scene. So instead, I treat everything as though this is a, a risk item, right? You not having you you still using Symantec two thousand four on your PCs. This is the risk associated right. with that, right? Let's start there, and hopefully, if we do all of the the core stuff first, by the time we get to the other end of you know six months or whatever it is, now we're starting to pick on the the bigger stuff, the more advanced topics. And one of my strategies over over time has been to leverage CIS, which I affectionately refer to as the Fisher-Price <laughs> security standard, right? Or the Little Tykes security standard. Not because I'm saying it's, it's immature or childish, but because it's got like big tactile yep. buttons and it's, you know, it's a, it's a great place to start. It teaches people how, you know, what a framework is who've never experienced a framework before. So if I go into those clients, I say, all right, first one on the list is inventory. I will walk around the room right now. I will inventory everything. I'll throw it in a spreadsheet. Oh no, sacrilege, inventory in a spreadsheet, right? Because everybody else that's listening to me about this is like, I don't do inventory in a spreadsheet. What is this, like 2002? Get the hell out of here. Because they don't do inventory. Right? Start with. <laughs> ah, there it is. <laughs> you can't complain yeah. about it being in a spreadsheet exactly. if there's no inventory, yeah. I think there's a meme there somewhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> but to the but to the client, then you can say, or or you know, I'll, I'll even make it more more robust. Right. Hey, Mister or Mrs. Client, I'm going to buy a $200 roll of stickers, and I'm going to wander around your space. I'm going to put those stickers on everything I can see that looks like an IT asset, IT or IS asset, and I'm going to put those numbers into a spreadsheet. And all I'm going to demand of you is that you have somebody on this staff do the same thing you know, or go around once a year and validate that they can lay eyes on the numbers that are in the spreadsheet. Congratulations, you've just unlocked <laughs> asset inventory in a way that a lot of major mm -hmm. corporations aren't doing correctly, right? And it was 200 bucks in stickers, right? So it, does, it doesn't have to be a, a, a high-tech answer right. or, or an eight-figure tool that, you know, from a company that isn't going to exist five quarters from now, it's just, it's, it's not a easy thing, but it is a simple thing. And the best way to do it is just to, just it's one of those it. things that scares me when I start trolling the subreddit for cybersecurity or some of the compliance framework subreddits, we'll talk, we'll talk about one of them yeah. a little bit. I'm, I'm holding off or even in, in LinkedIn CMMC, I just, I give you the, you know, but <laughs> oh, I, yep. I know you got the cert with, that's a whole, yeah, anyway. But, but the way that you see the guys that are so invested that primarily have only ever worked for large organizations, and I'm looking at this going, mm -hmm. who are you communicating to? Because that's been one of my things. When you're sitting there going, I want to you know, I want to start an awareness campaign. I want to start doing education. But when I see the way that they write, it's super technical. It's super, super in the weeds. It's, yeah. in my mind, it's overly tactile. And it's going... But who's reading that going, oh, this is great. It's it's no one, right. probably nobody's reading it at the moment they start because the, it's just dry and boring, but it's a turnoff. It's not approachable. It's not that thing. Like you, you talk, you mentioned that Fisher Price, the CIS controls. If it, to be yeah. honest, any of the major breaches that I have read about over the last decade goes back to something dumb. It's just they have larger scale. That's literally it. Yes. It is because the bulk of the small, medium businesses, they're not coding. Well, maybe now they are with AI helping them, but they're not building software applications. They're using commercial off the shelf stuff. They're using commercial off the shelf right. things. So a lot of those things, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of the controls don't apply. And I'm seeing the way that the other cyber professionals that are, again, you know, maybe they're working for CISA or maybe they're working for your Microsoft. Yeah, you got to be worried about that. 90% of organizations out there probably don't. Right. Yeah. And if, again, it, it should be a liberating perspective looking through everything through the lens of risk, mm -hmm. because there's, there's a, the, the other side of that looking through the lens of risk is that 
you can accept a you can accept any risk. I'll, I'll say this to a client from Jump Street, right? I'm going to tell you that a thing is a risk, and I'm going to tell you how risky it is. I'm going to give you some notion of of where I put it on a, a, a rank from zero to five, where five is holy poop <laughs> and zero is I gave it oxygen and that was the extent of my obligation, right? You can tell me, if I tell you it's a five and it's guaranteed to happen eight times a day from now until the end of eternity and you look me straight in the eye and say, all right, I'll deal with it when it happens. Okay, awesome, cool. It's gonna suck for yeah. you, but all right, that's your decision to make, right? And so I think that, a lot of us have a tendency, and I am putting us in, in I'm saying yeah. us, like I'm a part You're of You're getting the call group, if it right? happens. We'll get wrapped. Or- Well, yeah. also that, but we, we, we tend to get emotionally yeah. invested yeah. in a thing, right? I had a, I had a client that um, moat access methodology was go-to assist. And for anybody who understands go-to assist already, you know where I'm going with this. I had a problem with it because it's just a screen sharing application. And so if you're at home working, but somebody's at work, they see everything you're doing and there's miles between you and them. You're not stopping them from actually taking over the mouse and the keyboard and doing whatever, whatever it is they want to do. And so I, <laughs> I remember saying like, I'm, I'm bringing a stop to this, that this is just not okay. This is, way beyond the pale from a risk perspective and I'm, I'm not cool with it. And I knew as soon as I said it that way, right? You know how it is when you yep. start saying something and then in the back of your mind, you're going, well, hold up. Are you really going to put that out there? Are you really going to say that that way? Is that the, is that the, the thing you want to say? And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was in, immediately reminded of, you know, by the client that it wasn't my choice to make that they just weren't going to invest in another solution because it just wasn't a high enough priority for them. They didn't see the, you know, see that that was a big enough deal to invest the money in, in overhauling that particular solution or adding another solution. And so, you know, again, as, as practitioners, we have a tendency to, to get emotionally involved. Like, <laughs> oh man, that's, that's just, as far as I'm concerned, the only emotional investment we should have as practitioners is when it's our neck on the line. As we learned, you know, SEC versus solar winds, or actually more appropriately, the solar winds yeah. versus the SEC. If if that's where you can you can let emotion, you know, get involved. But otherwise, you lay out the risk. You say this is what's at stake. And if the the client says I don't care anymore, then then that is what it is. And so all of the things that have been, all of the risks that have been accepted, I accept the risk of enforcement of, you know, PCI. Well, no, I won't even lean on PCI, right? So FTC safeguards rule was recently updated. And there's a lot of organizations that just woke up to the idea that they are a financial institution. But nobody knows, actually, this dovetails into <laughs> CMMC really well, too. Nobody knows what enforcement <laughs> is going to look like yet. So, so everybody is looking around at each other like, well, I'm going to wait and see who gets popped mm -hmm. first and see how bad it is before Going I start, you know, falling over myself to, to get compliant. So, okay, <laughs> well, it, it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be easy or it's going to be really, really hard when that starts happening. So before we talk about CMMC, I do, I was curious, sure. do you have any of like your worst horror story or the most interesting story of interacting with the client. And you're like, Oh my God, like that forehead slap type of thing. And you're like, I can't believe this has been going on. That kind of jumps out at you without having to, you know, with, of course, without like disclosing who they were, but just a crazy circumstance. Yeah. It's actually got a pretty fairly positive spin on it though. I had a client that this, and this was, this was 10 years ago. Now they got ransomware. Mm -hmm. And I had been talking to them. They had an SBS. They had a small business server, right? And, and actually, funny, oh, maybe this is more in line with what you're asking. My first interaction with that particular client, I came in and I got, I, I got the lay of the land. I did the whole, what are your, what's, what's your business? What's your goals over the next five quarters? So on and so forth. Got the business profile squared away. And then they take me to a back room where it's a white box under a desk. And that's the entirety of their existence. And I thought, oh no, we're already off on the wrong foot. This is this is not good. But I get signed into that SBS, that small business server, and I pull up, you know, I pull up the uh, task manager, and the thing had been up 
for 430 <laughs> something days. It's a Windows box. You yep. know what that means. Updates had not been applied for 400 and something days. And it's small business server, which is notoriously fragile. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to touch it. Like it's, it, if I reboot this thing, there's a very high chance it's or not coming three, back. Or take like, two period. months to apply the updates. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Like I can't in good conscience restart this thing now, but I can't not either. But so that same client called me up and said, you know, we, we think we've got ransomware. Asked about the symptoms, what's going on, what are you, what are you thinking you're seeing, so on and so forth. And, and, and they did. They had, they had ransomware. And mercifully, I had just overhauled backups recently. And so we were able to, to restore pretty quickly and without paying the ransom or anything along that line. It wasn't the ransomware was just one of those spray and pay, pray campaigns, not part of a larger, you know, concerted attack. And so I was talking with the office manager. The office manager was the one that had fallen victim and clicked the link and unleashed the ransomware. And so he's asking me, he's like, all right, I need you to explain to me what happened. And I explained ransomware. I explained how it executes in the context of the, the user account that unleashed it. And he's like, well, what, what could we do differently when and if this happens again? And so I went straight for the notion mm -hmm. of least privilege. I said, well, you know, again, it executes in the context of the person who, you know, opened it up. And so, you know, th just imagine what that person has access to. And then le let's make sure that they only have access to what they need. And I could see it on his face. He's like, I don't need a damn thing other than email <laughs> and the ability to get out, the, out to the Internet. Shut me down. Right. I need access to nothing. And that was music to my ears. I was like, OK. Do you want me to go give you the same speech to everybody else in your office? Because I'm more than happy to do so, right? And, and so that was the, it was painful, but it was a big win for, again, the idea of least privilege, not the archaic notion of we've had the same nine employees since 1992. They're all good people. They're like family. So we just have a P drive yep. and an S drive and everybody has access to everything. Like, well, that's <laughs> going to bite you eventually. I'm trying to, so when you were saying that, it triggered an additional memory that I had encountered, but I've got, cause I use, I have three. Somebody asked me, well, there's primary two, but you gave me the third one because of that. So I'll, I'll tell you the third one sure. real quick. Came into a golf club, golf, their office and mm -hmm. walked in. They had had, somebody had walked out with a whole bunch of clothing off the shelf, polo shirts. They'd like broken into the office. And apparently one of the things that the owners like to do was monitor their security cameras in real time. They didn't have a recording facility on there. They just needed to make sure that they could record them. So something had messed up, wasn't going through the firewall properly. And I'm, I walk okay. in immediately and I'm going, why are you even worried about if they had stolen, you know, $500 worth of polo shirts off the rack and some food items when that server that you've got over there, that's running your entire business is you have a locked cabinet and it's sitting on top of it. Like you need to move it in there and lock the door because if they had taken that, right. you're out of business. Your insurance right. is going to reimburse you the shirts. Right. Quickly. Yeah. Quickly. And yeah. who cares in the long run? And it was, and it was just one yep. of those things of like, you could see like a light bulb go off. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it was, yeah. I just, it's just the thinking in the in the moment. Oh my God, somebody stole shirts, but but what if they had taken the server that is because you're talking this is a rural location with inconsistent internet. Most of the stuff had to be locally hosted in their particular environment. And it's just that re rethinking that 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 mindset. Right. And I'm sure you've seen this too, where you you have to you introduce somebody to the idea of same scenario, right? You lose this server. I've, I've said this to clients. They say, well, there's not really anything there that I'm worried about getting out. And my <laughs> rebuke to that is always, well, what happens when you don't have access to it, right? Never mind unauthorized right. access. Never mind, you know, a random person in the general public gets it. But what happens when you no longer have the ability to conduct business because you don't have that data? And then you, you see it just slowly dawn on them like, oh, yeah, that that would be problematic. That would sort of be a bummer. Okay, so in the locked cabinet it goes, right? It's just it, crazy stuff. All right, I must. I'm gonna pivot back. 
I want to set this up, though, for anybody that's sure. not familiar with this. Federal government contractors under the last three, four, five years, whatever it's been now, I've lost track, even though I was in, in, in trying to be involved in version one, have been going to be subjected to a regulation called CMMC for anybody that holds controlled and unclassified information. So I noticed that you have went through the process to become an official risk practitioner. I yeah, yeah, registered yep. practitioner. Yep. Uh, oh, that's right, registered practitioner. See, I was in, I was very heavily involved in the probably 2019 to the early part through until CMNC version one fell mm-hmm. apart, and with all the junk that was going on yep. with the board and just the junk. What are your thoughts about Same. it stands now as things are getting into that final rulemaking period? Has it been worth your effort going through that RP process? Because I get hit up on that periodically, and I've got. Well, I'll let you go first, and then I'll tell you where my problems are at. Sure. Well, and I just want to say, I don't want to be flippant about this, but it's like VHS versus Betamax is how it's become, <laughs> right? Because it's become CMMC versus NIST 800-170, you know, one, and then subsequently 170, 172, right? And and the, the fascinating thing to me is that when 171, I will say, was under threat of being enforced, I had clients that would reach out to me and, and say, well, oh my gosh, am I going to get audited? No, you're not. Well, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You're going to write an I yep. promise letter, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what I, back in 2016 and 2017, I said, give me the list. We're going to put the word, or I shouldn't call it a word, POAM, plan of action and milestone. Yep. And you're going to go, I, again, I promise to do this by XXXX. <laughs> right. Right, exactly, and 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 you know, so when CM, CMMC was announced, I think all of us felt like that's the step in the right direction. That actually gives this thing some teeth, and then dragged out, dragged out. You know, is this is it going to be this way? Is it going to be that way? The SMB space, ironically enough, woke up and said, "Oh dear God, there's no way anybody in this whole area can afford to become CMMC certified. This is not it's not a thing." You want me to pay three assessors for every engagement to do the audit in addition to the to the audit and in, in addition to the re, remediation that's required, et cetera, et cetera. And then it became CMMC reintroduced the self-attestation and the yep. POAM and the I promise yep. model. And and so but but again, here comes 171 re, reborn or uh, undead and 172 and so on and so forth. And so again, it's it's VHS versus Betamax, and I don't I don't know I don't know that any of us I don't know how to say this again without sounding dismissive, but I don't know that any of us care anymore, right? <laughs> Here, here's why I say that: if if it's just going to be another one of those, you know, I promise, or or here's what I'm going to do, or good enough, or this is this is what this is then it doesn't really move the needle in, in any appreciable way compared to what we were doing before anyhow, right? And so I, not that I'm advocating for, you know, the mom and pop shops that are building a tiny little widget that goes into a larger component that it eventually ends up in, you know, in a toilet in, in the Pentagon. I'm not advocate, ad, advocating for those shops to be closed down because of the onerous you know, uh, pressures from CMMC, but it's not them I'm worried about anyway. It's the larger organizations that have just sort of, you know, been able to negotiate their way into lax programs, lax control frameworks, so on and so forth. And that's, that's my big philosophical pitch there to answer your question directly. So I started getting involved in CMMC 2020, 2019, right about the time when clients started asking about 171, yep. right? Because they'd had a deadline, but of course the vast majority of organizations were blew it off until it was three weeks away, right? And um, so I started getting involved in CMMC there, and I was very excited about the idea that I, I think we all sort of saw a a path for CMMC to be the standard, the, the de facto standard not just for organizations that are partnered with, you know, the DIBCAC, but 
also with like across all industries, right? That the CMMC was going to become the path of least resistance. If I'm compliant with CMMC, I'm compliant with everything. It's like, you know, the, the, the magical umbrella across information security programs. And so I got excited, got involved, got, you know, got the training, well-versed in all of the stuff. And then it's, you know, sit around and wait, like, are we going to do this? Is this going to become a thing? And working with service provider organizations that their sales apparatuses and their, their marketing teams think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. We're going to, we're going to be the experts, the gurus for those organizations that need to be CMMC compliant. I'm, I'm in the room, I'm in the back of the room tr- trying to speak up and say, well, but that means we have to be too. Are you kidding me? Like, is, is this, re- do you want to open up this box? This is Pandora's box. If you want to advise clients, if you want to audit clients even worse against CMMC, well, that starts with us. Are you, are you ready? Like, you know, put on your big boy pants because it's, it's about to get real. And so <laughs> I, I got as far as the registered practitioner credential before people started to wake up to what is this going to mean and said, stand, stand down. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I, like you, like I said, I was involved pretty, pretty early on. I tried to get on the working groups multiple times when they, for that first version of the boards, because again, I'm here in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I'm in the heart of government contracting country, federal government contract. I, I can spin around and spit in my neighborhood and 99% of them probably work for one if they don't work for the federal government themselves. Right. So, you know, yep. my concern, obviously, when it first spun up was you saw everybody and their brother was a cybersecurity expert the next day because they saw this thing right. of how many ever they roughly estimated 300,000 companies. They're all of a sudden going to be enforced mm-hmm. with getting cybersecurity. Ooh, look in your chops, look in your chops. That's starting to spin back up again, by the way. I'm seeing that spin back up again. And, and I legitimately thought, and I think a bunch of others did as well, that they would have some sort of requirement, some sort of work history, some sort of something that says, Hey, you've had to be in the field for certain, so many years, you've got to go and have certifications like CIS. To be honest with you, it's the only reason why I did CISSP. I wanted to be done with certs. I was at the age I'm like done. And I said, well, this is going to be a thing. I live here. I spent six weeks, took the CISSP, and then to find out that you could go take a an online course for 10 or 12 hours, somebody sent me their notes, because I know somebody that had a marketing background, no cybersecurity, and passed it and became an RP. And I said, yeah. this is a joke. Yeah. So it, it was one of those things I said, I don't know where this is going. I do know that they've taken away the POAM, the, you know, your my promise letter. So the my promise letter is not, it, yep. ha, that piece has went away, which... I and I think, it, or if you do have it, is you've got to finish it within six months or ninety days or something like that. Uh, right, it's good. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's some sort of compromise. Right? You don't get it indefinitely, is is what it boils down to. Which that makes probably a little bit more sense than anything that's you you know usually open ended. But mm-hmm. I, I told this to somebody else last night. So a couple back in that 2019, 2020 time frame, I was on a conference call. This was not a CMMC, whatever that board was called back then before they're now the AB or whatever it is. This was more like something related to SPRS scores and something else the federal government already does. And they talked about, you know, the if you have this one, it will translate over to CMMC. But then you had at the time, this is something I wanted to ask you because you work for an MSP, correct? MSSP. MSSP. So at the time, and again, this was like four years ago, somebody asked about MSPs and MSSPs for requirements of working with the clients. And this is the first time I had the call mm-hmm. on speakerphone. I had stepped out of my office, but I had it up really loud. And somebody said, you're yeah. most likely as it stands now going to have to be at the same level as whatever the clients are you support. And right. the audible gasp will never, I'll never forget that gasp that I heard because it was an open phone call that I was on. This wasn't a Zoom call or something like that, that I had dialed into. It was open right. phone call. Anybody could have jumped in. Yep. And then that SCMMC yep. fell apart at that time period and it's been, you know, went through its different things that it's been going through. That's popped back up in the last few weeks. I was on the town. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were. Were you on the town hall a week before last? I got to be honest. I, I did too. attending them. The last one was a, the last yeah. one had to deal with MSPs and MSSPs. Oh, yes. Okay. It's on the website, but 
essentially they were talking about this and now we're there was a group of like seven or eight MSPs that had bound together to form their own lobbying group around this. I think they're circling the wagons. So I didn't know if this is something with the clients that you guys have had, knowing that that's probably coming down with defense contractors that you support. Have you started taking measures yet for yourselves to see what what tools, what applications, that type of thing that you're going to go, ah, oh, crap, we can't use this one, or we got to build a secure enclave for this handful of clients? Is that something you guys are in discussion about? Yeah, we, we've we've been talking about it, and you know, it's always a, a like an evangelist tour an evangelism tour with MSPs mm -hmm. and MSSPs because I, you know, the, the marketing team wants to do it. The sales team wants to do it. You've already got client clients that are in scope, so on and so forth. But then you have to bring in the reality of things like the enclave mm -hmm. things like, Hey, you're still in your, your, what, what do I want to call it? The, the honeymoon phase of migrating to Microsoft 365 across the board and damn the luck. You're going to need to move 365 tenants yep. again, right? Oh, and you've got a, a an overseas apparatus. We're going to have to talk about we're going to have to talk about that. Mm -hmm. That has implications as well, right? And and so it's you know trying to bring that reality to the MSP and MSSP space, and trying to sneak up on the idea of if you don't have the testicular fortitude to do this right, <laughs> yeah. don't do it. Don't do it at all right? Don't bother. Your answer then to organizations that have applicability in this, in this space is call somebody else, right? I can't, I can't help you. Right. And so I, I again, I don't want to be a defeatist. I don't want to be the, the cat that has to answer to the person who signs my paychecks to say, yeah, no, this is a, a, a non-starter. But again, this it's there's a lot on the table if you do it wrong. Yeah. There's a lot at stake if you do this wrong. And so, having those dialogues, having those conversations, I've been having that conversation a lot with MSPs and MSSPs since 20, 2020. And inevitably, it's a question of here's what it looks like, and they want to negotiate. Well, could we just could we just you know could we just give it to this group of folks? Do they does it have to be a dedicated team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. And the 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 service providers that I've interfaced with that get it better than others are the ones that have had CGIS applicability, right? Mm -hmm. The the criminal justice system. CGIS requirements are not dissimilar or okay. ITAR yeah. clients. ITAR, folks who yeah. have had ITAR or Yeah, exactly. And those those cats get it. Those cats hear the requirements and go, oh, not fine. <laughs> you know, and they and they've been they've been through that hell, right? But it went quiet for quite a while. So I'll have to, you know, dip my toes back in that world if the, yeah. the conversation is coming back around. I've, I heard, the last I'd heard was that October was the earliest we, we were going to see anything resembling enforcement. They, they're acting like now, I think it's going to be next year, most likely, because Congress has to have so many days to go on. And with it being a major, you know, an election year, they think that's probably going to interrupt the progress, the, the process with that. Regardless if it switches, is does the it was like does the current con well, at that time will the current Congress need to go approve what is going on? So I think I think they are thinking it's going to be first quarter of next year at the earliest. There's been a couple, of, so you know, and I, I, let me shift gears away from the policy because besides the fact that sure. I, I, I it was a little irritating to see everybody be a cybersecurity expert and do all this stuff that they weren't the day before or probably couldn't spell it. You know, I was always frustrated with the monopolistic nature of the way it was set up with one nonprofit. There was another one here in the area that predates the Cyber AB that had volunteered to be involved in this process even before that because they had a large, big building up here right outside Quantico in the in the vicinity and was told no because of that circle jerk that was going on that allowed some of that stuff to to take place back at that time. And then all the fees that were wrapped up in it. I mean, you got the you got the RP. Yeah. Are you still paying the maintenance fee even though? Nothing has been happening. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm still within my first okay. renewal cycle, so I'm. I haven't made the decision ultimately as to you know, am I going to proceed now? Mercifully, I'm subsidized by my employer. It's not coming out of my own pocket, and I'm not out on my own as a solopreneur and having to finance that sure. against you know consulting consulting work. Because I'll be candid, if if that was the case, I probably would have pulled the plug on it 
I probably wouldn't have pursued it if I'm candid, right? So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, but I also want to, I want to say this because I want to, I want to give it oxygen, right? That it's, it's similar in nature to a, a regulation I, I referenced previously, the FTC safeguards rule, right? You, you have almost everything you need in front of you from a guidance perspective. And I'm, and I'm talking to the clients, I'm talking to the organizations that are, that are sitting back waiting for a final answer on CMMC. Let me know what I have to do to be compliant and I'll do it. But while y'all are bickering back and forth, I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing all along. That's problematic. Like you've got 171 well documented. Mm-hmm. It's out there in the open. Hell, you've got the CMMC standard itself. Although it just looks a lot like 171, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. They, they just give it different <laughs> IDs. It's the same requirements. It's just ID numbers. You know, the mapping exercise from 171 to CMMC takes you I want to say seconds. I want to say something so, about that real quick. This is that part that I get frustrated, not ahead. just with CMMC going, how many damn frameworks do we need to have where there are, it's, it's essentially the same policy, but it's this number here. I used to have a chart. I swear to God, I had this chart. You could have mounted it up on the wall and it had all the frameworks and it showed how, all right, password reset policy. Okay, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one, it's across. This thing was gigantic. I cannot find it. But anyway, I, it's just, it's frustrating. And I can see where that's confusing to the layperson that wants to just do that initial research, that wants to sit there and starts going, oh, yeah. I'm a, and they're like, oh my God, there's 45 of these things. And anyway. Yep. Yeah, no, and, and to your point, what I think frustrates a lot of teams, and especially those teams that are working with service providers, is they go through the effort of, okay, now I am in line with 153 or I'm in line with the NIST CSF. And then somebody else walks in the room, their organization or service provider, vendor, whoever it is, somebody else walks in the room and goes, hey, that's great and all, but I'm going to need you to get ISO yeah. compliant you know, by 2 p.m. today. And then it starts the, the mapping exercise of going, okay, all right, hold on. What am I already good with in this other framework? And how can I, you know, close the gaps accordingly as quickly as possible? We've actually spent a lot of time, uh, myself and and my team, at the behest of the organization, mapping from everything from the TSC through CMMC 171.53, CSF, all the way down the line, right? This requirement maps to this requirement, et cetera. And then leveraged that to close gaps in our own policies and our own controls frameworks to say, all right, now we are compliant. We are demonstrably compliant with everything, right? But I can't tell you how much money, how much time, how much just pure resources were just vaporized into that particular process. And so if we were trying to pitch that to a client to say, hey, here's what we're going to do over the next year, we'd be laughed out of the room and rightfully so. But in that effort, one thing that stood out to me was I thought I was good with the vast majority of frameworks, right? You, you, you get enough exposure to a framework and the implementation realities of a particular framework, you think you know the framework well enough. It isn't until you start comparing it to other frameworks where you start realizing, oh, I see it. There's a problem with that one. And then you move to the next one. You're like, well, I see a big <laughs> hole in that one as well. Right. And you, re- you start realizing that there is no perfect framework and putting my flag in the ground on this. It doesn't make it any better overlaying mm. them on top of each other. It's not like a mesh that magically solves all problems. Right. And so because there's still holes, there's still things that are missing from all the frameworks or it's cost prohibitive, resource prohibitive to yep. try to, you know, apply all of them to your org. So, yeah, it's. I fully understand, I fully appreciate some of the heat that our industry gets from outside of our industry, yeah. right? Like, do you guys even know what you're doing? You know, why are you spending all of this time fighting with each other, fighting with, you know, the bad guys don't have overlaying frameworks, right? Like they don't, you know, the yeah. miter attack framework, yeah. that's cute. They've got their own set of rules, whatever, right? They're, whatever they're works. Doing their own thing. Exactly, exactly. So, and it's always going to be a game of, they're going to try something. It's going to succeed. We're going to try to defend against it, but it's already happened. So it, it's, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a fascinating. Well, it's, it's crazy. I, I've only ever, you know, talking about that evolution, that cat and mouse game, because it's a cat and mouse game when you're talking about that one 
I'm going to use it that it was a zero day virus because I got to work with semantic engineers about 10 years ago. We had, sure. it was a ransomware attack. It got localized on just one computer, similar to what you, your story was earlier. And we were using an mm -hmm. on-prem SPS server with uh, Microsoft Exchange. And yep. we were using semantic mail for the antivirus and filtering. This had gotten through. It was mm -hmm. a Word document, Excel document, some sort of Microsoft document. And it was an infected Visual Basic script that was in there. So got a hold of the file, ran it through VirusTotal. It comes back. Oh, we've never seen this one before. Zero. Like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Never had. I personally have never had that happen before. A buddy of mine was yeah. there. I shot him the file. Said, "Be careful with the file." But you run it through. I forget which one he had. He ran through VirusTotal again as well. Dude, it said like it still said zero at that point. It like didn't trigger that I had run it through. I shoot it up to Semantic. Right. They actually bounced me all the way through up to their senior engineers. They said, yep, we've not seen this before. You got a zero day. And it was just a morphing because somebody had taken a line of code and moved it down a couple spots. It didn't let their threat detectors pick it up as it was scanning the file. Right. Now, imagine this happening at scale all the time everywhere. And that's what I tried to explain to people with that. But I do get to like to go around and say, I have seen a zero day and I got to work with semantic engineers for three days, yeah. five days, something along that line to patch the hole. And then we had two knowledge base articles that were attributed to us, which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> right. And, and not that I'm trying to instill fear in people or, or put the fear of God of, into folks about this, this sort of thing. But and we do we have more advanced yeah. detection tools. We have Absolutely. heuristic tools and so on and so forth. Right. But could you imagine the, the the comedy, the sheer comedy of in 2004, 2006, something along that line, somebody says, what do I do to put out a virus that will, will evade detection? Cut, paste, send, right? Like, really? Is it, were we, was it that some, I remember, I remember being prior to going into IT, I worked okay. in architecture and, and we were, we had a, a open office, open office layout, of course, architects and designers love that sort of layout. This would have been 90, 98, 98, 99, something in that range. The, I love you mm -hmm. virus, right? I remember, again, I'm not an IT at that moment. It's not my problem, not my responsibility. And I remember hearing it just ping yep. around the room and the guy that was responsible for, for it. I mean, he finally just stood up threw his, threw his stuff down. He's like, everybody stop, just push back from your desk. Don't touch anything. Just, just stop, you know? And, and it, it ugh, just the, the frustration in his voice. He's like, ah! yeah, I was going to say that yeah, was in and, 2000, 2001, I believe, wasn't it? They could be. It could be that I left architecture in 2002. Okay. So it could be in no, that time no. frame. But we were still on Dell, yeah. Pentium. No, I want to know. say we went, we had, you know, because that one had went around so much. I remember being the same thing. I had worked at a American military university. I was a senior network engineer because I think that was the worm that went through everybody's contact list to immediately spread itself. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. And it was like, yep. whoa. Unplug, you know, it was like legitimately, it was like an unplugged situation instantaneously because it spread so rapidly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, you're going to give me PTSD on that one. <laughs> yeah. Happy appreciate it. <laughs> well, well, coming up on time, we'll wrap up with, with maybe like your, the advice you usually seem to give somebody the first time you've interacted with them, or maybe, maybe it's even final advice. You're wrapping up an engagement for them to, to continue on a, a path to make sure that they've, they've got that security mindset because that's something that's, you know, we talk about that cybersecurity is a team sport. It's not just relegated to your IT staff. This is legitimately, everybody has to be aware because the lowest person that has access to too much stuff can cause a major problem. So what what's kind of the, that advice do you find yourself giving repeatedly that other people seem to accept to keep them in a kind of a secure mind frame? Well, for me, it's always, you know, I've touched on it a couple of times. I always go back to risk, right? Risk never reaches zero. If anybody comes to you and says, I can make you secure, they're lying. That's not a thing. It's not a utopian society or a utopian destination where you get there and 
<sighs> have a margarita, have a you know similar cocktail with an umbrella in it. That's not that's not the case. It's a way of being. It's it's a it's a hygiene. It's a posture, and unfortunately, it's forever. Right? It's 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 this this ever vigilant, you know, posture that we all have to be on on high alert. Right? But I counter that by saying, like, listen, I still sleep fine at night. I hope you do too. You know whatever happens is going to happen. Either you see it coming and you've done enough to reduce the risk or you haven't and you have to deal with it when it happens. I advise a lot of clients on, we're going to talk 30% about preventing certain things from happening and 70% how to deal with them when they do. And I've had clients actually look at me and say like, that's not right. We want, we want, we want it not to happen. I'd love for it not to happen too, but it's it's going Stuff to happen. happens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, exactly. How are you going to deal with it when it happens, right? You you when you go to the mall, you park your car, you lock the doors, maybe you stuff all your valuables in the glove box and lock the glove box. Maybe you still have the club across the steering wheel, right? You set the alarm when you walk away. You still have insurance, don't you? Yep. Right? So, you know, it's just it's it's and if you're in, and if you're it's in San Francisco, they're still breaking your windows and taking your shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's San Francisco. You yeah. just leave everything open so they don't break the car. Mike, this is this has been fun, man. I think we could have kept going for a while on this. I think we're like minded. If anybody wants to reach out, what's the best place for to contact? Find me on LinkedIn. 